stories. Uh, we love them and we live by them. You think about the, uh, the stories that we love to consume. Um, the news. News is a story. Lots of little stories. We go to the movies, we read books, we ask people, how was your day? We tell each other jokes. We gossip sometimes. <laughs> and all of it is stories. You get amongst a, a group of men and what do they tell? They usually tell, at some point, war stories. This is how I got injured. This is the crazy thing that actually happened to me. Uh, but I think our love for stories isn't just a kind of barefaced love for stories. It's a love for stories that's fueled by the fact that we live our lives in story format. That's what we do. No, no one here in this room lives their life by bare facts. We grab the bare facts and we interpret the bare facts and we give a shape to the bare facts. And the shape that we give to it really is a story. And I want to ask this morning, just as we start, what makes a good story? Well, here's the first bit. The, uh, what, one of the things that makes a good story is a, a good story draws you in. It engages you personally. I, I wonder if you've ever watched a show on TV or been to a movie and the acting's really bad. And you're just going... The thing that you're thinking about most of the time is, this is really bad acting. Or you go to a movie that's got better acting, but it's still not really, really good acting, and you're thinking about the fact that this is good acting. You're not actually thinking about the story. You go to a, and see a movie or you see a show with great acting and great production, and you know what? You're not thinking about the acting. You're just in it. You're in the story. You get caught up in it. That's what a good story does. A good story kind of grabs you and it pulls you in. Almost as if some invisible hands had kind of reached out and grabbed your shirt and kind of pulled you in and you're not even thinking about it. You go to an amazing movie and you can come out at the end and just go, man, like reality disappeared for about two hours or two and a half hours. A good story has characters in it which you can identify with. The, the best type of stories have characters you go, yeah, I get that, I understand that. Somehow you can identify with the characters, we, um, we watched uh, the first Avengers movie on uh, holidays. And um, I, don't, I don't think this is a spoiler alert. And I think I sinned one other time talking about Endgame, Avengers Endgame, but uh, by, by not giving people a spoiler alert. But um, we, So here we are watching it, right? And basically you've got this, uh, this bad guy, Loki, and he's kicking around, he's trying to mess everything up. And then at the end of the movie, or toward the end of the movie, um, Hulk is just angry. Right, that's kind of Hulk's thing, okay? And Hulk does a bunch of good stuff, but he usually trashes a bunch of stuff at the same time. So collateral damage is a bit of an issue with Hulk, but he doesn't care. And when things are really bad, no one else cares either, right? Because someone's got to come in and save things. Anyway, he has this thing with Loki where he, uh, he picks Loki up by the legs and smashes the concrete with him like that. And it sounds very violent, but it's not, it's not as bad as it sounds. <laughs> So what happens? My boys are just cheering and laughing. They think that's the coolest thing ever. You, you know why? Because it's so frustrating when you've got a bad person getting around wrecking stuff and someone needs to come along and stop them. And that's, that's kind of a, a bit of a shared kind of human experience, right? So Hulk comes along and he grabs Loki and he beats him up and he lives because he's Loki. You know, you think about so many stories. 
You know, you, you think about the classic storyline of someone who's bullied and pushed down and then they find this, um, this skill that no one thought that they had. And they start doing it and they get some kind of ascendancy or power over the people who have been bullying them. You know, it stirs the human spirit because we can identify with that in our own lives. Or maybe they make a sacrifice um, that shows how great they are even when no one notices them. You know, a good story is about us. Um, it's about us being able to identify with the characters in it. But good stories, I think, are also about having elements within them that transcend your world. So, you know what this is? This is like there's, there's parts in a movie where you go, yeah, I, I get that, I understand that part, but that is so otherly, that's so separate from my experience. Um, it, it, we kind of get caught up in the transcendence of it. Let me give you an example. Uh, Jack and Rose in Titanic. You remember that movie? The story of the poor young guy and the rich girl end up on the Titanic together. Um, this whirlwind kind of romance that they have. And then the ship sinks, which is a major problem. Right? The ship sinks and uh, there's only enough debris for one person to float outside of the icy waters. And so here you've got Leonardo DiCaprio playing Jack in the water holding on to Rose's hand because he wants to protect her and he's sacrificing himself for her. And in the end, what we actually see is you see this shot of uh, Jack releasing uh, Rose's hand because, uh, or going limp because he'd died, he'd frozen to death and him sinking into the depths of the water. See, that, that's... Kind of, it's kind of transcendent. And, and the way that it's transcendent is we look at it and we go, yeah, we can identify with a bit of that, but that's just kind of out of my everyday categories. And uh, it leaves us asking some questions. Um, yeah, it's an amazing story in its time, but it leaves us asking the question, would I do that? And I think the, um, the transcendent side of stories, and most stories I think have got some kind of transcendent side, actually lead us into that. It leads us into something that we kind of know, but we kind of don't know, and it kind of challenges us as to whether we could actually do that. Here's another category of uh, good stories, I think, is uh, a good story affects your story. Uh, the most powerful stories are the ones that change you. You know, it's not like um, a classic rom-com Right, romantic comedy where you sit down and you literally probably waste two hours of your life for no good reason. But that would be a male take that, wouldn't it? The females would go, no, it's great, it's great, it's the best way to spend your time. You know, a, a really, really powerful good story leaves you changed, doesn't it? It leaves you wanting to do life differently. You know, in a very real sense, a, a powerful story, a powerfully good story is one doesn't just drag you into it, but then it bumps into your story and it leaves you profoundly kind of impacted. Let me give you an example of where I've experienced this. When the uh, Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson came out, I don't know whether this was your experience when you went to the movies, but I went and saw it at the movie and at the end of that movie, no one moved for about five or ten minutes. No one said anything. Everyone just sat there 
It was, it was unique. Very, very unique. Because the audience, it, it wasn't just that they saw a story. The story was kind of crashing into them and crashing into their story. I heard someone say recently that, uh, I haven't seen it yet, but someone who had gone and seen the, the movie Danger Close, The Battle of Long Tan, they said a similar thing happened at the end of that movie. They watched it and at the end of it, it was just silent. And, and it's a sign, I think, that the story's crashing into people's story and where people are at when you see that kind of thing. Jesus was an epic storyteller. He, he told about 40 to 60 stories, depending on how you define it. His stories are called parables. And he was a master storyteller. People deeply connected with his stories. So much so that we still talk about his stories in regular culture now. I mean, you could go out and you could say the prodigal and most people will know what you're talking about. They know what a prodigal is. Or you could go out, and this is probably the one, this is the one we're going to do next week, but this is the one that's probably the most famous in cultural use because you see it in the newspapers really regularly, the Good Samaritan. Yet that, they were Jesus' stories. You know, you, you can connect with Jesus' stories. And, and the weird thing about Jesus' stories is his stories look docile enough and harmless enough, but they're, they're kind of a bit sneaky. When he tells his stories, they're just a bit sneaky. Listen to, um, or read with me as I, uh, sorry, not out loud. You can read on the screen and I'll uh, read out loud a, uh, a pastor's comment uh, about Jesus' stories. I think it's wonderful. Uh, Jesus' favourite speech form, the parable, was subversive. Parables sound absolutely ordinary, casual stories about soil and seeds, meals and coins and sheep, bandits and victims, farmers and merchants. And they are wholly secular. They're not religious in the way that they sound. Of his 40 or so parables recorded in the Gospels, only one has its setting in church and only a couple mentioned the name God. As people heard Jesus tell these stories, they saw at once that they weren't about God, so there was nothing in them threatening their own sovereignty. They relaxed their defences. They walked away perplexed, wondering what they meant. The stories lodged in their imagination. And then, like a time bomb, they would explode in their unprotected hearts. You know, I think this is what a good story actually does. It gets in on the inside... And then it affects you. And today we're actually going to look at one of Jesus' stories or, or, or parables. And I think it's probably one of the top two most well-known parables of Jesus. And that's the parable of the prodigal son. I want you to uh, have a quick look at the uh, context uh, with me, uh, just for a couple of minutes, and then we'll read. So if you want to crack your, uh, your Bibles out, that'd be good. We're going to go to Luke 15. The story of the prodigal son in Luke 15 uh, occurs at the end of a whole chapter dedicated to stories about lost things. There's a lost sheep at the start and there's a lost coin and then there's a lost son. And interestingly, if you're in uh, Luke chapter 15, the first two verses of Luke chapter 15 are these ones. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. What have you got? You've got the good guys and the bad guys. And they're both kind of crowding in to listen to what Jesus has got to say. So what do you do? What do you say? 
Well, it's obvious. Jesus tells a story about good guys and bad guys. <laughs> All right? And the good guys are probably not as good as what they think. Let's, uh, let's read the, uh, the parable from Luke 15, starting at verse 11. This is Jesus. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now, he was the youngest son, right? So he, uh, he actually only got a third of the property. The older son would get more. Um, so he's gathered that together. And just as a bit of a note, and we'll get to this in a minute, but for the son to actually go to his dad and say, I want my inheritance now, is really saying to the father, you're dead to me, and the family's dead to me, I'm off. I'm going. Very, very insulting, very hurtful. Verse 14, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. I mean, think about that for a, uh, a Jewish culture, a kosher culture. I mean, pigs are unclean. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pig ate. So he's actually lower. <laughs> he's in more trouble than just hanging out with pigs. He actually wants to eat the pig's food. And no one gave him anything. Bit gutting, right? But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, notice he didn't even get through his speech, right? Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. That, that is just as a side note, that is a massive theme in Luke chapter 15. If you read the other two stories, you have to celebrate when someone's been restored or something that has been lost is, is being found. You just have to do it. And we, we should do it hard, right? Like, let's, let's just celebrate hard when that stuff happens. Now his oldest son, verse 25, was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when his, this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. All right, let's kick in. <laughs> One of the things I think that we see in this story is we actually see the lostness. 
I mean, you look at this family, and this family is seriously messed up. There is stuff in this family that is lost all over the place. All right, and I'm not just talking about lost as in you can't find it, but you can lose something. Like there's a whole bunch of goodness that has been lost in this story. You know, and I think it's a lostness that we understand. So if you track back to me to what a good story is, a good story is one that you can identify with. And I want to suggest to you this morning that you can identify with the lostness in this story. The first thing that uh, you see in this story is you see, uh, it comes out really clearly early on, it's, it's, a, it's a lost family. I mean, you've got to think about that. Like imagine going up to your parents and saying, look, you're as good as dead to me. You, you are over to me. Like that, that is some serious trouble within the family. And the other thing you may not have even noticed in this uh, parable is uh, the youngest son speaks first. And, and back in that culture, it's like the people who are older, the father should speak first and then the older son should speak next. But it's the youngest son kind of usurping the role and speaking first and just wanting to get the stuff that he wants before the father is dead. This is some serious breakdown. So you've got this going on with the uh, younger son and then you've got this whole other thing going on with the older son. You know, if we, if we duck toward the end of the story a little bit there, um, you, you find out pretty quickly that not only is there a problem between the, the youngest son and the father, but there's a problem between the older son and the younger son. How do you know that? Well, have a look at your, uh, your Bibles there in verse 29 uh, to 32 of Luke chapter 15. You know, he, he refuses to go in. The father comes out to speak with him. Listen to what he says. Look, these many years I served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, you notice that? If one of your siblings says to you, in speaking about one of, sorry, if, if one of your children says to you in speaking about one of their siblings, that they're not their brother or sister, but that they're actually the son or the daughter of the parents, there's probably a problem. <laughs> there's probably a problem. In fact, it's the father, if you go on there to, uh, to verse 30, uh, 32, it's the father that has to remind the younger son that it's his brother. It's not just a, a, another son or another daughter, it's actually your brother, son. And the, the older son in the description about what the younger son's done has just done the classic kind of writer's embellishment. Do you notice that? He, he didn't seem to have all that information about what the younger son did because he hasn't even really spoken to him. And he's saying, oh, he's hanging out with prostitutes and doing these other things. There's a breach in this family between the father and the younger son and between the younger son and the older son. And what we'll find out in a bit is there's a breach between the older son and the father. The, the family's a mess. The family is a mess. And I, I don't have to hang out too long in this space, um, I don't think, to persuade you that we've got similar problems. I mean, it's... <laughs> I, I don't know... I, I wouldn't even maybe need to count the number of people in the last... Well, this year, let's just go over that. 2019 that I've gone up to and they've gone, hey, listen, my family's going great. Uh, the kids are in order, my uh, parents are going great, we're all just really tight, and I'm really tight with my brothers and sisters and with the in-laws, everything's just going awesome. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You're all looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. 
It's true, right? Like, uh, you go up to any, I say, oh man, we've got some problems here and there's a little bit of a thing going on here. So when we get together as a family, we've got to be careful of that. And don't say that when you get together with that member of the family or that relative, because that's going to cause trouble. And it's just like, it just, everyone know what I'm talking about? You're kind of with me now. Some of you are looking at each other like with a knowing look, going, yeah, yeah, we get this, all right? Um, and some of you maybe have even had a sibling um, or someone in the family that just did the younger brother thing and just said, give me the cash, I'm out of here and I'm going to blow it. And they just take family resources and they just go and they just spend it all and waste it. And they get lost and they get themselves into a tight spot. We've got here a lost family. We've also got lost resources. Not that this is a big deal, but you just do have lost resources here. When the, when the text there speaks about a, a far-off country, it, it probably, the Jews implied, a Gentile country. Right? He's gone to somewhere that's not uh, the home court advantage, the Jews, and he goes and he takes this third of the inheritance and he wastes it all. And we're not told what on, we're just told that he does waste it all. And this is the, the fascinating thing about this part of the story is he brings it upon himself. Now, we could, we could spend a bit of time just thinking about the relevance of that. We might get to a little bit more of that later on, right? But uh, one of the things that we, um, we talk about in uh, restoration groups, one of the talks that I do in restoration groups is, do you have a category for God showing mercy and kindness, and not just God but other people, mercy and kindness when you brought it upon yourself. Because there's not one person in this room who hasn't actually brought a whole bunch of trouble upon themselves and continue to do so. Now, typically in Australia, what we kind of do is we go, well, you did it to yourself, you know, stewing your own juice, don't we? <laughs> stewing your own juice, man, That's you did it. Suck on the lemon, man. But I'll tell you something, if, if there isn't mercy and grace and help for people who bring trouble upon themselves, we're all in trouble, aren't we? Because we are all people who bring trouble upon ourselves. So we've got lost resources, we've got a lost family, and then we have compounded lossness. Have a look at verse 14 to 16. Actually, we just read verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe, a severe famine arose in that country. Now, not only did he lose everything in his own hand, a famine arrives at just the wrong time and puts him under the pump. It exacerbates his need. As if it wasn't enough that he was broke, the whole country went broke because it didn't have food. And it ends up with him longing to eat pig's food. And look at the end of verse 16. Like, I think you should just, I'd encourage you to go home. It won't be particularly encouraging to do this, right? So make sure you have something hope-filled after it. But you should just loiter a little bit at the end of chapter six, sorry, verse 16 of uh, Luke 15. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. Listen, this is gutting, isn't it? And no one gave him anything on his own entirely alone the situation is lost 
Can you identify with that? Can you? Can you identify with this uh, younger son who's made a bad decision and then circumstances have just made it a hundred times worse? Circumstances outside of your control. You know, maybe, maybe you got the sack. Maybe you did the dirty on your employer. You did something that you shouldn't have done and you got the sack and then an economic downturn comes and employment goes through the roof and you can't get another job. Or they say that you're too old. You know, th- this is what we're talking about. Can you identify with that? Where you, where you just you, you, you make a mistake, you just do something wrong, you're heading in the wrong direction, you do something really foolish and then circumstances beyond your control just come in and it just kind of crunches you. Compounded lossness and here's the last one a second lost son do you know what's amazing about this story is there's not just one son who's lost here there's actually two sons who are lost what's the attitude of the uh the older son let's just read a little bit verse 25 um actually just let's go to verse 27 uh, the older son said to the servant, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. Do you see what's going on here? The other son is just going, you, you just, I, I haven't got what I deserve. And, and do you know what he wants? He wants recognition. That's what he wants. You see the comparison, like the youngest son gets the fattened calf and I don't even get a goat. And, and you see here between the older son and the father is that they're disconnected too. He's lost in a totally different way, but he's still lost. So there's two of them that are lost. I mean, the father's got some trouble on his hands, doesn't he? It's, at this point, we don't know about any other members of the family. All the members of the family that we have in front of us are lost, except for the father. You know, in some ways, the older son's disconnection from his father is more dangerous because of how close he actually is. You know, when, when you're that close and you don't get it, that you're disconnected from your father relationally, you've got big problems. Like deception is a powerful thing and you just can't buy yourself into a relationship. That's kind of what the older son is thinking, that he can buy himself into relation, relationship, into the heart of the father. I mean, uh, just even pause for a moment and, and think about how sad it is to have a brother who has blown it big time and, and the older brother hating on him for it, for coming back, for saying sorry, for, for repenting. I mean, think about the hardness of heart that, that's going on there. I wonder if you can identify with the... Uh, the second lost son. Have you ever thought that you're acceptable because of what you did? That you've been a good boy or a good girl and it, and it wasn't enough? Have you ever thought that you were an insider when you were actually an outsider? <laughs> the uh, commentator James Edwards, is, uh, I've, I've gleaned a lot of help from him this week. Uh, he says this, 
Um, the irony of the scene is unmistakable. The offended insider is himself a resentful outsider. That, now that's a spin out. We don't have a lot of time for this today, but in a church, there's every chance that we're more likely to be like the older brother than the younger one. Keeping our ducks in a row and thinking that that actually gets us somewhere. Now, every good story has a hinge, and there's a a hinge in this story. Um, There's a rising problem, and then there's a solution. And this solution is a little different to what we would expect. If you were going to tell this story in our culture, within cooey of the self-help section in your local bookstore, um, you would find it would sound a little like this news article that uh, was getting around in the, um, in the news uh, a couple of months ago. People were having a good laugh at it. Uh, let me read it for you quickly. Um, a group of tourists spent hours Saturday night looking for a missing woman near Iceland's Eljiga. Uh, there you go. That's, that's the official pronunciation too. Only to find her among the search party. <laughs> the group was travelling through Iceland on a tour bus and stopped near a volcanic canyon. Soon there was a word of a missing passenger. The woman who had changed clothes didn't recognise the description of herself and joined in the search. <laughs> but the search was called off at about 3am when it became clear the missing woman was, in fact, accounted for and searching for herself. <laughs> Our, uh, our culture is all about finding ourselves, isn't it? That's kind of the direction of our culture. And if, if uh, one of the uh, self-help section of your local bookstore, if one of those authors actually wrote verse 17, it might sound something like this. But when he realised what an idiot he had been and how he was wrecking his own life, when he saw how he wasn't loving himself enough or making enough plans for prosperity in his future, he went and sought out a financial planner to get his situation in order. He also found himself a life coach and eventually he realised he needed to believe in himself because he really was amazing, so unique and special. He realised there was nothing he couldn't do. (laughs) No insults to uh, financial planners or life coaches. But it's not how it rolls. Uh, In verse 17, you have a look at um, your Bibles there. It's, It's fascinating the way it starts, isn't it? And verse 17 starts with, but when he came to himself. You you have to stop and just think about that for a minute. Who ever decides to come to themselves? Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, who ever decides to wake up in the morning? No one ever decides to do that. Whoever decides to come to themselves... You see, coming to yourself is something that comes to you, not something that you go after. And what we've actually got here is this, this boy, this youngest son, comes to himself and that coming to himself comes to him and there's a sense in which he's very passive. And then activity kicks in. And you know from verse 17 to 20, um, you can have a look at it there as I speak if you'd like to. Um, when we read it earlier, what, is, what does he start doing? Well... It's pretty clear he starts polishing up his speech, right? Works it out. What am I going to say? Um, you know, it's like uh, 
It's, it's kind of like us. Have you ever done this where you're blown at big time and it's like you start working on your speech, right? And you kind of go, okay, here's, here's what we're going to do when I, when I get there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this first and then I'm going to say that. Then I'm going to say that and then they're probably going to say that. And then if they say that, I'm going to say that. But if they don't say that and they say that, I'm going to say this and that over here. But then they mightn't say that or that. They might say that. And so then I'm going to, do you know what I'm saying? And it just keeps going over and over and over in your mind. You rehearse it over and over. And I think this is what he was doing you know probably quite rightly he assumes he's just booted out of the family he's out he's not in anymore so he's trying to find a spot with a speech where he can kind of have servant status uh, but not be the full deal anymore because he's expecting to be gone and this is the point in the story i think where we actually become really um, hugely alert to the transcendent thing that's going on in this story remember i said transcendence was like this this thing that you could identify with, but it was kind of like outside all of the categories. Well, you know who that is in the, in the family? It's the father. It's the father. You know, and, and like any story, like when you, when you watch a story, you consume a story, the character of the, the, uh, the individual tends to say, stay constant. You know, if we look at the father, he didn't just show up at the point that the son is heading home. He was there the whole way along. You know, remember what the, uh, what the father did at the very beginning? He could have told his son when his son said, Come in, let, let me have a third of the stuff. He could have said to his son, forget it. Forget it. You're not having it. Wait your turn. Wait till I die. Don't you ask for that before your older brother. But that's, and that's what we see from this father over and over through the story, is he's good, and he's good in a way that just breaks all the categories. I mean, look at, look at verse 20 there in Luke 15. But while the prodigal was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now, why do you reckon he saw him? Well, he saw him because he was looking for him. That's why he saw him. He saw him because he was looking for him. And, and another translation for uh, a long way off is in a far country, right? And I just, I was thinking about this the other, the other day and I thought, you know, you know uh, when you see someone a long way off, have you, have you had this experience with your family? You see someone a long way off and you just go, is that, is that Ange or is it not Ange? You know, or is that, is that Jordan or is it Caleb or is it not Jordan or Caleb? And, and do you know one of the things that helps you in that moment is even when you can't identify them, you can identify the style of their walk, can't you? Just go, I know that gait. That's, that's Ange. <laughs> that's who that is. I can't see her, uh, I can't see her face, but that, that is Ange for sure. And I reckon, that's a story, right? But I reckon something like this is probably happening here, that the father is looking for his son and, and it, it looks like this, the son is so far off but the father just recognises him and has compassion on him and in a very embarrassing way because men just would not run, ran and embraced his son and kissed him. Now, if you know this story, you go, yeah, this is, this is a cool story. And it is. But when I'm talking about the transcendence, that what the father here does here is not what we would do. And that's the point of Jesus telling the story. It's like back in the day, 
you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't run. The father wouldn't be looking for the son, right? Because he just needs to get his comeuppance. You know, what would we be doing? We'd be going, I know, I can't wait till he gets close enough to hear me. <laughs> All right? Because I'm going I'm gonna, to I'm gonna set some things loose that I've been holding on to for a long time. Oh, the height of that kid to think he can come back here. He needs some consequences. That's what he needs. I told you not to do it. Why did you blow my money? I'm coming for your soul, son. It's been a long time, but I'm coming. But he runs. He runs. Embarrassing for a father to run. Even more embarrassing for a father to run after a rebellious son. And the son gets into the speech and he doesn't even finish. He doesn't even get to finish it. He gets interrupted and the father starts organising things. You know what we've got going on here is the father's forgiven him before he even sees him. That's what's going on. He's forgiven him before he's even seen him. You know, <laughs> I was thinking about it and I thought, eh, maybe this is me. Maybe you're more righteous than me. But just bringing out the transcendent side of this here, right? If my kid had done that and my kid came back and they said, sorry, I'm letting them get through the whole speech and leaving a pregnant pause at the end, okay? And then probably saying, ah, I think I missed a bit of that. Can you just take me through that again? Or pull it out my phone and just say, hang on, just let me press record on voice memos on my phone. Let's get this down for all time. Not this, Dad. This dad um, doesn't even listen to the second bit of it. And he honours the one that least deserves it. He gets a robe, a ring, sandals, all things that signify status, reputation and honour. And he gets to be an heir again. I mean, think about... Just pause and think about the older brother for a minute and just go, that's like really annoying, isn't it? It's like you just went and blew a third of our money and Dad's just going to let you back in again and you're just going to get that third again? You've already had your third, all right? You don't get another third, you blew it. But that's actually what's going on here. There's a reinstatement that's actually going on and it's, it's meant to tell us, I think, that there's a transcendence about this father. There's none of us would do what this father has done. That's the point of what Jesus was saying. James Edwards again uh, makes this comment, which I think is just so powerful. He says, These gestures far exceed the son's needs. The servants could have satisfied his needs, but only his father can rehabilitate him, and rehabilitation requires honour. Isn't that beautiful? It's just really beautiful. You know, and as we look at the father, as I said before, he, he's, he's being consistent. He's gracious. Um, you know, as I said before, he could have given his son a serve when he asked for the inheritance. He could have told him to wait till he died. He's so gracious. You know, the older son refuses to go into the party. So what does the dad do? Well, the dad's, what's he doing? He's out in the paddock with his son. His other one. You know, and even as the, uh, the father is speaking to the older son, he affectionately calls him son or child. You know, you know the fascinating thing? You could argue uh, that the treatment of the older son by the father is, is even warmer than the treatment 
um, of the youngest son. The father, the character of the father is truly transcendent. And here's where I want to finish. That's a quick end. This, this story is a powerful story because of the way that it bumps into our story. It's a story that's affected people's stories for many, many years. You know, and, and in this story, um, the father is God. And we are either one of the sons or the other or a mixture of both. We are the ones who are out of sync with the Father and out of sync with each other. We're the ones that can't get our stuff together. You know, if you look at the kind of treatment that the older and the younger son actually deserve, you know, they actually don't care that much about the Father. (laughs) The younger son just wanted his stuff so he could go and do what he wanted with the Father's stuff. And the older son wants recognition. So he ultimately actually doesn't care that much about the father either. Neither, do you see the picture here? Like neither of them actually care that much about him. They're all caring about themselves. You know, who's, who's the one that is truly loving and reaching out to other people and prioritising relationship with other people? That's the father, isn't it? No, no character in this whole story is complete except for the father. And you know what the father does in this story is the father is the glue that holds this family together, isn't he? The place just falls apart without him. If he taps out, like if you, you look at this story and you just go, oh, man, if that father taps out, that family's done. It's over for that family. So much division in it. So many problems in the story that actually can't be solved without the father. And you know, the father's the only finished character in this story. This is what James Edwards says. He says, the father is the only finished character in the story and he's the only finished character that's in our lives. We're not finished either. He goes on to say, we all know people like the rebellious younger son or the resentful older one. At at one time or another, in fact, most of us have been like the one or the other. Listen to what he says, but we have never known anyone like the father, nor would we claim to be such ourselves. It's a whole other category. Now, maybe the music team can come up. I wonder, I wonder where you, wonder where you sit today. Which, um, which son do you, which son do you identify with the most? Identify with the, uh, the older one that, that squared everything away. Always got it right. Where's my recognition? But you're actually disconnected from the father. 
I've, I've known and I've, I've spoken to people like that. I've spoken to people who just can rattle off all the things that they've gotten right. They've just been faithful all of their lives. They've done everything and yet I sit and I hear a heart cry in them that they're disconnected from the Father. They're not connected relationally. You can keep all the rules. You can be a rule keeper and not be connected to the heart of the Father. Is that you? Maybe, maybe you're the, uh, the younger, the younger son. You just, it was about you kind of doing whatever you wanted to do. So you grabbed the resources and you ran off with them and you did what you wanted with the resources and you got stuck in a spot, you got lost and you got alone. Maybe you're there now. Maybe circumstances have made it worse. Yeah, you did a bunch of stuff and you brought it on yourself, but circumstances happened and now you're just stuck. Is that you? And do you know, we could drill down, because I, I think there's a, there's a global, general kind of um, story-long version of this. Someone can run away and, and use all the resources to, and they're kind of the black sheep of the family, and, and God would, God would uh, call them back to himself and so quickly forgive and be gracious and compassionate. Um, but, you know, I was thinking about this and I just thought, I think, I think I'm the youngest son. Because we, uh, you know, Psalm 24 says that everything belongs to the Lord. And, and if I drill down into the details a little bit and I kind of go, Peter, is there ever a time where you take the resources that God's given you you run off on your own for your own ends and you get stuck. And I just go, <coughs> yes. Even down to something as simple as me getting up in the morning and just kind of just having that thought, not really stopping too long there and just going, I think I've got this day. I think I can get this one done. Uh, I've got a few things coming up, but I think a bit of natural talent's going to get me there. And I'll just kind of back yourself, Peter, um, in this particular little area. And don't think too much about God. Not that I say this, right? But don't think too much about God. Just, just go after it. You can, you can get this one, you know? And you go after it. And either you are successful at it, which is actually when you're doing stuff on your own and you're being independent, um, that, that's a very, very dangerous thing for pride. <laughs> All right? It takes you to a very dangerous place. Or you have a crack at it and it fails. That's, that's probably a good thing to happen when you're being independent. Um, or one of the things that also happens to me is, uh, so I can do success, failure and anxiety. That's what I can do. So you get really anxious because this thing is bigger than you can control and you can end up in a spin where you try to control more and more stuff. And, and you become a, at least internally, this is what happens to me, you be, I become a control freak. It's like I just want to control as much stuff as I can. See, if the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, including me, I shouldn't just grab God's stuff and run off with it and try to do stuff on my own. For my own ends. 
But you know what I'm talking about? And then I think um, <laughs> we're ambidextrous, right? This is good with our left and our right. We, we can probably, we're probably pretty good at doing both the older son and the younger son and switching between the two of them pretty quickly. Um, and maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you just go, yeah, like I can be really judgmental sometimes and think that I'm in and be totally disconnected from God. And I can be judgmental and critical of other people. God is so quick to restore and forgive and to love a sinner that you get whiplash. That's, that's what you're meant to get. And that's one of the main things you're meant to get out of this parable is God's restoring of sinners and people who have done the wrong thing. And just show this flicker of repentance and turning. Like even look at this Youngest son's repentance, and you just go, that's actually not that good. <laughs> like, it's pretty patchy. It's, it's a little bit kind of messy, the stuff that he's saying, and it's like, oh, we could give him a few pointers as to how you could, uh, how you could improve it, right? There's some, there's some good things in there, but it's pretty patchy, right? And the father's just responding to it. So we should, um, we should sing, all right? That's some good stuff to sing about. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to say sorry to the Father. Say sorry. And uh, if you want to come down the front, maybe this is the first time that you have ever said sorry to Jesus for taking his stuff and just running, it, running off with it and making your life a wreck with it. You should, you should say sorry to him. And not just to get your own life back on track, but you just took his stuff and you blew it. And you probably hurt other people when you did it. All right? So you probably made a mess out of it. Or maybe you're uh, someone here today who's a, uh, you're a Christian. And uh, maybe today you've just gone, hey, you know what, there's a whole area of my life that I just haven't said sorry to him for. You should say sorry. <laughs> and you should say sorry with enthusiasm. Because you have a father who's very, very, very quick to forgive you. And you should not hesitate. You should not hesitate. Maybe you're the older son. And you can see the, uh, you can smell the smell of judgmentalism and self-righteousness. But you're sitting here today and you're just going, you know what? I'm not close. There was a guy in my restoration group in Perth who was like this. He sat there and... um, he grieved about the fact that he was doing everything right and everyone said he was such a faithful man but he grieved about the fact that he wasn't close to Jesus and he spoke of it and um, you know by the end of it that was different for him by the end of the uh, restoration group 